Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, these friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Welcome to Friends and Fiction. Tonight is the story of an author. We're so fortunate to be introducing you to two outstanding guests who have had great success bringing books to the screen. We're so excited tonight to introduce the beloved actor and producer Andy McDowell and the renowned producer and writer Todd Komernicki. And a reminder, this will be an extended 75-minute program, so don't leave early or you'll miss some of the very best parts. But first, we have another big treat in store for you. Our beloved, our darling, Patty Callahan Henry has a big announcement. Will you share with us, Patty, the exciting news of your brand sparkling new audiobook? I will, but before I do, let's go around the circle and introduce ourselves so everybody knows who we are. Ooh, I, all right, I'm Mary Alice Monroe. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. And I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. And oh, my Patty, go ahead and introduce a wonderful book. We're so excited. This is an introduction, everybody. This is a reveal. So this is the year of the nerd. Did you know that? It's 2020, and as it should be, it should be the year of nurse, but not for the reasons that you think. Not because of the pandemic, but because it's Florence Nightingale's 200th birthday. So as you know... So I it sounds like my sound isn't working. Can y'all not hear me? Yeah, it's a little it's a little off, a little which is weird. I'm telling me. Um so maybe my earbud batteries are fine, I'm going to put them out. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, actually, yeah. A little bit okay, better. Great. So as you know, I was once a pediatric nurse, and of course, Florence Nightingale was our muse and our example. So finally, I wrote a novella about her, wild and fascinating life before she called was called The Lady with the Lamp, before what she calls the fuzz buzz about her took over. <laughs> I explored a young Florence, and I asked, can the daughter of a prominent English family 
defy Victorian societal and family expectations to fulfill a destiny and how. The novella is called Wild Swan and it comes out tomorrow as an audible original. I love the cover. It is standing in front of her family estate holding a book. If you aren't familiar with Audible Original, they are original audiobooks put out only by Audible. And I am so glad to be part of this program. And the narrator, y'all, is something special. Her name is Cynthia Aravo, and she is a Tony Award-winning actress who has starred in The Color Purple, and she was Harriet in Harriet Tubman. And she gives life to Florence Nightingale in a way I couldn't have imagined when I wrote it. Sean, you want to give us an example? The carriage came to a halt at the stone castle's entranceway, where two guards stood waiting in full crimson uniform. For me. <sighs> we love that voice. Oh, so, so good. I know. <laughs> so it comes out tomorrow. So even if no, you go wait. to the Audible page right now, you won't find it because it drops at midnight tonight. But I will post it on the Friends in Fiction page. And tomorrow you can finally hear the novella called Wild Swan. Now on to our incredible guests. Well, thank you, Patty. And everyone knows how much I love audiobooks. So I'm going to be first in line tomorrow to get my audible original of Wild Swan. I can't wait. Well, now for what we're waiting for, I am so personally thrilled tonight to introduce not only a guest who really needs no introduction, but a woman I'm lucky to call friend, Andy McDowell. Andy is the critically acclaimed, award-winning actress of film and television. She reached stardom in memorable roles, including Green Card, Michael, Groundhog Day, and my favorite, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Is it raining? I hadn't noticed. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Andy has always supported independent films and has starred in several, including her breakout, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. In 2012, Annie moved into television well ahead of the curve, starring in Jane by Design and the popular Cedar Cove series based on books by Debbie Maycomer. In 2018, my life changed when Andy produced and starred in the Hallmark Hall of Fame production of my novel, The Beach House. Andy is a fellow South Carolinian, born in Peachtown, Gaffney, and was raised nearby. He went to New York City all on her own. She just packed up and went, and she signed with Elite Modeling. She was a supermodel who graced all the major magazines, and she has been a spokeswoman for L'Oreal since 1986. Her natural beauty, inside and out, has convinced us all, yes, she is worth it. Her new movie is out on television Sunday, December 13th, Dashing in December. So, welcome, Andy McDowell. Welcome. I love your hair. It's so great. I know this was a great slide, L'Oreal. We had a big release. I'm sorry? With the gray, it's a big release that L'Oreal embraced. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. They did. I mean, I did it during COVID because my roots started going, growing out. It's something I've always wanted to experience. I, I just thought it would be fun to, you know, to see. Um, it's salt and pepper, and it's not going to be salt and pepper yes. forever. So I really, you know, I, you know how that. Goes. I love it. 
So <laughs> thanks. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And it's uh, panned out really well. I, you know, d- I had to do something for Dash in, in December because I couldn't go with half roots, which is what I had. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I convinced everybody know that. Me. know that. Yeah. So I, I talked everybody into it and it's really working out well because the job that I'm doing now, they're really happy with it. It's it's nice to look different, you know. I've yeah. been the same. I've been the same for such a long time, and um, yeah, I don't really see it as. Um, I see it. I see it as being like a man who embraces his, the time oh, of his, cool. his life. Yeah. yeah. So I like to, to to say I'm like George Clooney. You know. <laughs> I think that's Absolutely. the way to look at it. I'm very proud, and I'm a go girl. I think I'm looking at it, going, "Hmm, yeah, it's beautiful." And you, well, both Patty and I have personal stories to share about our guests tonight. So I get to start. I met Andy by chance at the airport one night. You remember Andy? Yeah. It was eleven o'clock, and it was we were all tired, and it was the it was the Atlanta to Charleston puddle jumper. And I stood on the jetway, and you stood next to me. Remember, and I was like, okay, she stood next to me, okay, universe. So I introduced myself and I said, very nervous. I want to thank you because you were the inspiration for a heroine of my novel. And you could have ignored me, but you were typically very kind. And you said, what was the name of that book? And I answered, The Beach House. And so you wrote it down and you said, I'm going to read that book. And so my suitcase came up. I grabbed it and I said goodbye. I played fair and I left. I wanted to talk for an hour, but I left. And as I walked out of the airport, I walked by in the old Charleston airport. There was a bookstore with a glass window and there was a poster of my new book and my backlist. And I went, thank you, God, because I knew, Andy, that you were going to walk by it. So you did, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I and I saw, you know, this great big poster <laughs> that they had they had sitting with your na- your name and the book and I was like, Oh wow, that's cool. She's you know, I mean, this looks legitimate. <laughs> so I yeah, and I read it and I really loved it, you know. I loved I loved everything about it. And I love you know, I love great southern stories and and um, I, you know, I'm really we followed through and made it happen. We did. Is, we made it happen. And yes. I'll always be in your debt for making such a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. All right, um, we'll have a lot more questions for you. And now, Patty, how about introducing Todd? Sure. Todd Komernicki is a New York-based prolific writer and a producer and a friend of film and television, as well as an acclaimed novelist. If it is something that needs to be written, he writes it. (laughs) The president and founder of the production and management company called Guy Walks Into a Bar, which might be the best name for a production company ever. Komernicki and Guy Walks Into a Bar partner, John Berg, produced the Christmas blockbuster Elf. He also wrote and directed a movie adaptation of one of my favorite novelist books, Resistance by Anita Shreve. His screenplays include Sully, directed by Clint Eastwood. He has written Perfect Stranger, starring Bruce Willis and Halle Berry, and The Professor and the Madman, which is set for release, or has released, and starred Mel Gibson and Sean Penn. He wrote the screenplay for God's Spy, the true story of pastor-turned-spy Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He is also working on The Greatest Gift, which is the true story behind the film classic, It's a Wonderful Life. 
Oh, great. A whole bunch of other things on here, but we're going to skip right ahead. In television, he has written pilots for ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, TNT, and anything with three letters he has written, <laughs> including TNT and MGM. He lives in New York City with his wife, Jane, and their daughter, Remy, and their son, Dashiell. Welcome, Todd. Yay, hey, Tom. Hey, Tom. Hey, Tom. Uh, I left out so much of your bio because it would take up most of our time to talk about. There are novels <laughs> and a play. And anyway, I'm so thrilled to have you sitting here talking to us about movies and screenplays and life. Because honestly, writing and life so mingled together right now that the more we learn about one, the more we learn about the other. And Todd, I think it's really interesting to tell the listeners that we knew each other as children. We grew up together in Philadelphia and went to the same church. And then we didn't see each other for over 30 years until I wrote Becoming Mrs. Lewis. And we both on separate paths chose a first career, Todd in baseball and me in pediatric nursing. And then we both started writing separately discovering the power of story until our paths converged again. So I'm glad you're here, my friend. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. I'm such a lucky boy to be among such amazing women. My kids <laughs> <laughs> me in the back door. <laughs> well, I, was, I was joking before I want to go, I know him. Which <laughs> is so great. Well, tis the season. So let me ask Andy and Todd, what are your holiday plans? Andy, what are you doing this Christmas? Well, we were going to go to Montana, but it just seemed so complicated. And yeah. so now we've just decided we're going to go to Los Angeles. And I'm hoping my son and his beautiful new girlfriend are going to join us. And um, have a dinner and be together. That's kind of it. You know, keep it simple. And your girls are coming? Definitely. Yeah. Be a, whole, a whole crew. Yeah, the whole crew. Mm -hmm. So, so you are getting together. I'm glad. That's really Yeah, lovely. yeah. I'm going to be super cautious flying home. I actually have this plastic, this great big piece of plastic. And I wear the piece of plastic over me on the flight. I really don't care what people think. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for you. I love it. I really look like an idiot. I'll send you a picture, Mary Alice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't care. Actually, I'd love to know where to get one. <laughs> it came off of my massage table, and I put it over me as a joke and sent it to people and said, I'm thinking about using this, and I thought, hell, I'm going to do it. So <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I look like a complete fruitcake, but I feel safer. So whatever. You know, if you don't get sick, it's absolutely worth it. Who cares? Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, fruitcake fruit cake is a holiday. <laughs> this, is, this is true. Like, this is true. Like a fruit cake. That, this that's is true. Perfect. It's all on purpose. It's just oh, on purpose. Like Andy McDowell. Nobody. <laughs> I saw some, some, some little boy was having a heyday laughing at me on the, one of the flights. And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, it made him happy. But he was like losing it with his father, with this fruit, this fruitcake mother over here, woman over here with this big black bag. Hilarious. Just put a little sign up that says Merry Christmas and that'll be all you have. Todd, where are you going to be for Christmas? Our focus is pretty much to keep Santa on his toes until Christmas Eve. Yeah. <laughs> we, have been, we have been fleeing this pandemic. 
We lived through New York City's lockdown. Then we hustled down to South Carolina to see Patty in June and lit South Carolina on fire. <laughs> all the way across this unmasked country. Now, now all these states that nobody wore masks and we drove across, everybody's wearing masks. <laughs> coming, coming from New York, because we knew what was headed their way, yeah. it was really heartbreaking because you can't explain yeah. to everybody what's happening. They don't believe it until it's real for them. And they looked at us and, and my wife and I with our two kids like we were lunatics for having masks on. Yeah. And and now it's we've been in Los Angeles. We came out for my sister in law's wedding in the summer, and they asked us to stay. God bless them. So we've been surfing the pandemic, and our kids have become, you know, shaka bra, hang loose kids, and it's been fantastic. But now LA is shut down. Yeah. So we spent the last ten days in Colorado. Tonight we're in Moab, Utah. Show out, yeah. shout out to all the Moabites. And um, I don't know where we're going to be. We we just. Um, Wow. Under the cover of darkness, we will slip into some place that has a chimney, and <laughs> yeah. that day will work. Yeah, it'll be Christmas because we're the better. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's quite a story. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a screenplay coming out of that one. <laughs> Everybody's life is a screenplay. That's right. <laughs> well, before we get to ask questions, I am going to tell you all about the bookstore. As you all know, every week we highlight an independent bookstore, and this week is the Little Boho Bookshop, located in New Jersey. We love this quaint store that is nestled in the community of Bayonne. Sandra, the owner, started her career in publishing buying children's books, and it has remained a focus for her in her bookstore. So Sandra is offering a 10% discount on all our books and no discount code required. It's a quick click way, that's hard to say fast, quick click way yeah. <laughs> to buy your books and support a wonderful bookstore, especially in the holidays. The link is on our Facebook page, and the store has a designated Friends and Fiction page for easy access. So tis the season, and if you purchase one of our books from the Little Boho Bookshop, you'll get it autographed with our book plates. Now, for what everyone's been waiting for, let's talk to Andy and Todd. Patty, how about asking the first question? So, Todd, I know everyone wants to talk about Elf and Sully and books to film, and we will. But we have so many writers who come to our show, and they are, need to hear your story because it is so inspiring. Hmm. Tell us about your reasons for entering the writing field and a little bit how you ended up where you are now, a star athlete and then a poetry class and then boom. Tell us about that that change and how that happens. Wow, the writing tip is going to be 25 minutes long. No, this is not writing tip time. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm teasing. Listen, all I can say is that the, the great quote about how do you make God laugh is to tell him your plans. There, there's, there's no straight line for anything. And as Shakespeare said, love's uh, true course is never a straight line. So the story of my, the love of my life and us having kids was impossibly circuitous. And it's the same way with, with life and what my life has been. I had no interest in writing. I loved movies, but I had no interest in being a writer. I wasn't pursuing it at all. And I had completely squandered my college education at Wheaton College. And I was entering my senior year adrift, not knowing what I wanted to do or how to do it, and knowing that I hadn't learned anything. And both my sisters had gone to Wheaton, 
and I asked them independently, is there a class? Is maybe there's one class at least that I could have as a life raft experientially so I don't leave with nothing. And both of them recommended the same professor, a woman named Jill Baumgartner. Wow. Extraordinary, extraordinary human being and a poet and a brilliant person. Anyway, I went to her and I, uh, back in the day, uh, I've told the story before, it never gets old. Um, I went there with my classic mullet haircut. It was, <laughs> it was a championship mullet. It was, it was a baseball player's mullet. So it was sort of completely matted down in the front from my baseball hat always being on. And then this long gag you know, this looked like a, a former wolverine or like an animal that I killed that was coming out the back of my neck. And my only defense for it when my kids see the photos is that Bono was rocking the exact mm. same haircut at the exact same time. Street cred. So I was just, you know, was following in, in cool rock and <laughs> But I went in there with my mullet and my, my, uh, my hat in my hand and I said, can I take a class from you? I'm not an English major and is there any way you'd be kind enough to let me, I am a mullet enthusiast. I got right now. I will give you a hundred percent off my books. You don't have to go to a bookstore. Just email me separately. I'll send you my books and a little piece of my mullet. Um, the, uh, the class she was teaching was to be a 400 level class of advanced poetry writing. And she said to me that you, um, you can't audit my class. I don't do that. If I put you in the class, I'm going to grade you on the same level I have with all these students that have been taking my classes before. And I knew that my grades were so poor, it didn't matter. I was not <laughs> suddenly going to get a bad poetry grade and not get a job in life. I, <laughs> my prospects were dim enough. <laughs> I, I took the class, and as I told Patty when we did a podcast, the patchouli was heavy in the air. <laughs> I, I, I was used to the smell of locker rooms. And instead you walk in and there's, you know, there's an invisible beaded curtain that you come through and, uh, you know, the, the various herbaceous aromas coming from all these writers and, and all these talented people. But I was not among that tribe. And so I, I sat to myself and I, I get my head down and I took what Jill said very seriously because of my sisters. And for the midterm, we had to write 10 poems as our exam. So a villanelle, free verse, haiku, a sonnet. And at the end of the midterm class, she handed back everybody's papers except for mine. And then she dismissed the class and she asked me to stay afterwards. And while I was sitting there, running my hands through my mullet, <laughs> I, I was thinking two things. I was thinking, can you get in trouble in college is there is there detention can she literally hold me in this classroom do i have to, do I have to sit here because i had spent most of my growing up here in the principal's office so i thought no, I, i'm old enough i don't have to listen to this and i wanted to get up and then i really thought my deeper fear which was can you write poetry so poorly that you can be kicked out of a class and when the door shut and I was the last one in the room, Dr. Baumgartner walked over to me and she laid down my, my papers in front of me, the poems with the cover page, which just had my name on it, and circled ironically in red ink was um, the letter A. That was, that was my scarlet letter. That was the, the, the letter that would denote the rest of, of my life because oh. what Dr. Baumgartner said to me was, if you want to, <clears throat> you can be good at this. Wow. Uh, 
Wow. What an inspiration. We've had so many people talk about how they've been discouraged Maybe. by teachers. So it's nice to hear how a yeah. teacher. Has been. Yeah, it is. That's beautiful. Yeah. That was the needle skip moment. And she shot me off into, uh, into writing. And I, I, I do want to just connect two things because this has to do with my dedication page of my first novel is that I, I dedicated it uh, among other people to Dr. Jill Baumgartner, minor of deeply hidden talent. Because oh, what she saw in me was was not uh, at a professional grade. She sniffed it out like a you know looking for truffles. So I'm so grateful <laughs> for that. But the the other thing is that my my uncle David, who I, I believe is listening, and he currently has a beautiful book out called Five Stars in the Window, which is a memoir I, which I highly recommend. Beautiful, it's on Amazon. But he gave me the inspiration to write my first novel, and we were at Christmas time big Komernicki family reunion party that we had every year. He's putting on his coat in our foyer in, in Radnor, Pennsylvania. And he just randomly says to me, have you ever taken a legal pad and drawn a line right down the middle? And on the left-hand side, written a thought as it came to you. But then when the, if there was any interruption to that thought at all, just move to the other side of the page, the other side of the line, and write out that thought, get rid of it, get you know, spew it out, don't try to connect them and then return to your original thought. Huh. And I said, well, no, I, I, I haven't ever done that. It sort of sounds like a jazz novel. It sounds <laughs> like leaving the melody to go riff, but always return to the melody. And he said, yeah. exactly. And six weeks later, I started writing my first novel, which was ultimately called Free, but which I called on every single page. I just wrote the word jazz. And mm -hmm. that's the formula by which I wrote that book. And it gave me permission to write that book. So again, uh, a grown-up with uh, an ability to sniff out inspiration and offer it as a gift. Jill did it. My uncle David did it. That's the kind of stuff that sets you free to actually go tell your story. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Todd. I think we just got our writing tip. So thank you. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Andy, you've chosen roles that have become iconic, and there's no guile in your characters. I think everyone, you're, when you're on the screen, it's just so authentic. And you shine in romantic comedy, but you also dig into tough roles. And those showcase your talents, such as Suzanne in The Grieving Widow in Love After Love. So my question is, what is your process? How do you connect with a character? And is this a must for you that you make that connection when you decide whether or not to do the role? You know, I wish it was always like having all these offers and, oh, yeah. me, me, which one shall I do? <laughs> I, wish, I wish it happened. That, I wish that was my experience, but it really hasn't been my experience. I have had things come to me that I just did not want to participate in. And then I've had things come that were obviously gorgeous, and I couldn't believe they came to me. That's basically what's what's happened um and i think you know like after sex lies in before sex lies in videotape i really struggled i you know it was a hard time i didn't know if i was even gonna make it um but after that sex was early in, i'm sorry that was early that was early yeah that yeah well, it was relatively early i was 30 so it wasn't that i wasn't that young um but after that, it ch everybody changed the tune. As soon as you're in something that's successful and it makes a lot of money, and especially if it's critically acclaimed, yeah. everybody wants you. You know, it's just yeah. like that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
Um, and so after that, I started getting uh, some offers that were very similar to that character, which I didn't want to repeat. And then, um, you know, I got some really fun roles, like even Hudson Hawk, which nobody talks about, but it was a lot of fun. Oh, and yeah. um, let's see, Green Card, you know. Green I, card. Know, no, I love that one. I really liked, love really that one. With Gerard. What was it like to act with Gerard Depardieu? Mm-hmm. My goodness. Um, you know, he's, lo- <laughs> he's loads of fun. He has a terrible reputation, but I've never seen any of that behavior. <laughs> I have some inside stories I can tell you. Oh, yes. Please yeah. do. Okay. <laughs> I did another movie called Harrison's Flowers many years later, which is, you know, it's a good movie. It's not like a big commercial success, Um, but I'm proud of it. I think the work in it is good. Anyway, I was in Prague doing this movie, and Gerard was there working, I think, on, anyway, Musketeers. I think he was there working on the Musketeers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I had one of my good friends with me helping me take care of my daughter, and um, he had gotten in touch with me and wanted to come over and cook for us. So, so amazing. I know. So he came over and cooked for us and he bought like a case of wine. It was like his own <laughs> personal wine. And uh, finally, I don't know, you know, finally around midnight, I told him I wasn't going to sleep with him. And that was kind of the end of the evening. <laughs> That's awesome. But it was so funny because we were all dancing and having a good time, really drinking too much. And I finally just turned him in and said, Gerard, I'm not going to sleep with you. And immediately, he immediately turned to my friend. <laughs> I know. Adrian Brody was in that, too. It was a great, it was a great night. Oh. I'm really not much of a partier, but that night we, we lived. We, we, we lit loose. We danced and everything. I don't know how professional it is telling you that story. But, <laughs> but you have a great have story. Are there roles, like you say, I really, really want to do Oh, that that's the question. That's right. Um, okay. So, yeah, time goes by. I think, I think you know, what is, this is what I thought of when you asked that question. I think a lot of times when you're younger, because it gets, you know, it dries up for women. A lot of times they talk about that, how it dries up because um, leading romantic roles are all for young people. It's very rare. You're not going to find somebody who wants to, very rare that you're going to see a romantic story about older people. They're just not interested, you know? But the great thing about getting older is you get juicy roles. That's, Uh, yeah. yeah. That's what happened. So Suzanne was, I was shocked. I was like, I couldn't believe this young man wrote a story about an older woman having sex, you know? I mean, it's just like, it was like, oh, wow, thank God. You know, (laughs) not only having sex, but complex feelings about it. It was very complex, yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, so many things, like so many complex feelings. And she was, you know, the way she was written, she was beautiful. And they they dressed me gorgeous. I was intelligent. I wasn't... A meemaw, I was, you know, uh, a force to be reckoned with, you know, really interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, I was relieved to get to play that character. And like the character that I'm doing right now is absolutely fabulous. And I just couldn't believe, I can't believe it's happening. I'm just having the time of my life. 
So that's that is the rewards of getting older. Is I think people stop thinking about how you look, which is convenient. I think my looks actually my I lived off of my looks in a way, and I, they also got in the way. I think a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I understand. I can um, see that. Sure. Yeah, I think that they were an asset, and also sometimes held me back. I think people couldn't get beyond how I looked. Um, right. I did the same thing with my mullet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, like, the struggle is real. Ta- as you're talking about the mullet, you know, they're they're very high fashion now. Yeah, actually, if they've come back, <laughs> oh, no, I'm no. sorry to hear that. The biggest yeah. fight yeah, that my yeah, son yeah. and I had during COVID was because I made him get his mullet cut. And he was like, this is the perfect mullet. He was furious. And like all the kids had them this summer. Like it was like the cool thing. Yeah. Mullets are in. Don't let him see this. He'll really be. No, I think mullets are taking over the show. This is unbelievable. Um, All right. Christy, I know you have a question since you're out there. Yes. Um, so this is actually for both Andy and Todd. Um, Warner Brothers, as you know, sent shockwaves through the film industry when it announced that its entire slate of 2021 films will debut on one streaming service the same day they appear in movie theaters. And that includes the big blockbuster films. So this obviously changes the Hollywood system. And what do you think this means for the future of movies and theaters? Todd, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I'm going to start with that one. Um, this is a, you've handed me about 11 grenades with, <laughs> with, with about seven pins. So I, I, I could diffuse a number of them, but four of them go off. Um, I'm going to leave it like this. The human desire to congregate. Uh, the need to recover. Yeah. What is on the other side of this vaccine and the return of Broadway, the return of live music, orchestral music, of rock and roll, all of these things are linked. Our theaters need help right now. Um, Hopefully the Biden administration gives some stimulus to to, lose the real estate that houses these screens. Yeah. Like anything, competition makes things improve. Yes. So we'll have less dumpy former malls with 11 screens in 600 square feet to show yeah. movies on postage stamps, and we'll have more elegant movie theaters to attend. That would be amazing. But I think movies will come back. I think this is a moment. Warner Brothers was purchased by AT&T, so this is not a Warner Brothers decision. This is a corporate decision that comes from AT&T which is a phone carrier which sees the future sped up by the pandemic Mm -hmm. i think their expectation was 15 or 20 years from now everybody was going to be watching on their phones and their watches and on the inside of their eyelids and their google glasses i think that's what their expectation was anyway so they have permission to speed that up and i think that's why they did it wow just just to finish it's awful for the filmmakers who have made extraordinary big screen experiences that are being denied the right to show them in their original form. Yeah. I'm, you know, if Sully were due to come out next year, I would be destroyed. Yeah. It's a deeply painful thing for my, for my colleagues. So I, I hate that, but I definitely think as much as the press wants to say, this is a defining moment. I'm going to say it's seasonal. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, what do you think? 
I, I definitely think that there's nothing that's ever going to replace the experience of going into yeah. a theater and watching it on a big screen with a group of people because you get that whole reaction from the audience and it's you know it's it's a different it's a completely different experience and I went regularly before COVID I you know I go once a week to see a movie just because I love that experience yeah um at the same time, I have to say that television has improved, and this is the problem on top of everything else, is that the quality of television has is vastly improved. So it is something that they're going to have to reckon with. It's just the truth. I, I can find so many high-quality... No! made projects Woo! <laughs> so many high quality made projects and watch them on the television so there is that or they're gonna have to you know they're gonna have to continue to deal with that and i don't know that it's a bad thing i think it's also it's, i think it's a good thing i know for myself it gives me more opportunity in more places i think for writers it it's it more invi- inviting for everybody it's more inviting but you're never going to replace the experience of going to a theater and being with people yeah, it, and seeing it on and seeing it on the the big screen. It's just super much more glamorous, a lot yeah. a lot more glamorous. So yeah. I, it, maybe it'll be like what we're experiencing in the book world. It's going to be a, a both. It's going holding to be a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, all right. I believe Patty, you have a question for both. So both of you have incredible demands on your time. Andy, you are acting, you are producing, you are spokeswoman for L'Oreal, you have a busy family. And Todd, you're screenwriting, you're producing, and you know you have a busy family life. How do each of you choose which project is worth your time and energy? The five of us are always talking about, well, we want to do that, but... We want to do that, but there are only so many hours and words in a day. Uh, we'd love to know how you decide. Andy, you want to go first? Oh, but Todd answers so well. Let's let him go first because I might, you know, think of something while he's talking. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna make sure I get my fanboy moment in here. Uh, so I'm gonna because you let me go first, Andy. Uh, I, wanna make, I, I wanted to make sure I got to say this in case we never got to speak again. You're, you're so uh, well known for all these iconic roles, but there's there's a role and a moment in this role that I believe for me had a major impact on the um, the ability for women to speak into culture and change the conversation and take the reins back. And it was in the middle of a comedy and it was way ahead of its time. But I remember the experience of seeing it happen. I'm going to share it in a second and realizing when I saw it, Oh my goodness, that's 100% right. And the world doesn't look at things that way. And the moment is in multiplicity, which is a brilliant film is when Michael Keaton says, here's how things are going to go. He's going to lay down the law because he's faced all the complications and he's going to figure it out. And he's come out of his man cave and he's got the truth. Here's how things are going to go. He says to Andy, and Andy says, no, here's how things are going to go. They're going to go this way, this way, and this way. And she destroys him because not only is she right, but she's strong. Now, I was long before I was married. And believe me, I'm not being, you know, Ray Romano, uh, you know, hemmed in, disappointing husband. When I say, guess what? Guess who knows the way things should go? 
<laughs> yes. My wife, my wife knows. I mean, she's not right 100% of the time, but usually when I say, "Hey, here's what's going to happen," she says, "No, here's what's going to happen." And, you know, <laughs> six or seven hours later, or ten minutes later, I have to say, "Just like Gal, okay. you are completely right. That was how things." <laughs> so I wanted to thank you for that as the front end of my answer. Ah, uh, well, that's sweet. Well, I'm sure it's Harold Ramis you need to thank, not me, because I think <laughs> <laughs> I think he was very he was just such a really a genius. He was such a a really good man, and uh, I think I remember you know I remember him saying something. This really should have been about five women, which was the truth. Oh, wow. Which was wow. the truth. Remake. But, yeah, yeah. I watched that film. Because I, I have thought about it. Can tell you how many times I've thought I wish I could just if I could just multiply myself because of all the stuff I know I could get done. If I could just multiply myself, is <laughs> yeah. the truth. Yeah, Harold Ramis was a really great, just a great guy, and I can't believe I got to work with him two times. That was so lucky. Yeah, everybody needs to check out Multiplicity. It's an exquisite yeah. performance by Andy, and it's a great film. Um, yeah, my answer about projects is uh, it's a spiritual one for me. It's prayer. It's just completely. I have stopped wanting to do what I want to do. Um, probably about 10 or 15 years ago, I have stopped wanting what I want. I found that it was leading me to a lot of frustrating situations and uh, banging my head into walls and not bringing fulfillment. And when I surrendered that and just said, okay, God, what do you want? I'm going to get out of the way. My life has been so much easier and so much sweeter. Wow. And so when projects come up and I'm blessed with getting a lot of things on the, on the transom, that's where I go. I just ask. And I surrender and I listen. And, and fortunately, so far, the uh, the choices have been blessings. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That's How about you, Andy? Oh, well, you know, for me, it's like I, I said, it's not always everything that... I saw this quote, and I actually requoted it on Instagram. It's like, recognizing when doors have opened that you've always wished for... Mm-hmm. And I guess I guess that's sort of like what's happening right now. <laughs> no. ah. Yeah, I've always wanted this, but you you don't necessarily get what you want. That's that's the thing, no. in life, you know. And no. you have to be grateful for what you've received. You have to say, "I'm so thankful for the, the opportunities I've had." You know, you don't always get what you want, but yeah, right. every, every once in a while, it happens, and. Um, I, you know, I, I, I talked to Mary Alice. We've talked about trying to get to write a book, but I congratulate all of you. I don't know how you do it. I don't know that I have the, the, the stanima to sit down that long. <laughs> <laughs> Won't give up. Never give up. We're going to do it. <laughs> no, like- and finding something or finding something, creating something is, you know, it's a long process. It did yeah. happen with the beach house and, and it's something that sparks your interest that much to make it follow through. So a lot of times I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a gift, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, you just have to pray or hope it just drops into your lap, you know. And sometimes yeah. it does. And you're like, yeah. oh, on a tarmac out in the airport. <laughs> 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 
Awesome. Um, um, Kristen, you have a question. Yeah, Todd, this one is for you. So many of your screenplays are adaptations of true stories, including, of course, the spectacular Sully, uh, starring Tom Hanks, which tells the true story of Captain Sully Sullenberger bringing a plane down on the Hudson. The true story behind the film is incredible, but the film brought it to life in a way I, I honestly never could have imagined. It, I, and I know exactly what you mean about needing to see it on the big screen. Um, the Professor and the Madman, which is about the creation of the Oxford English Dictionary, is another example of you bringing a true story to life. Can you talk a bit about why you've been drawn to bringing real stories like that to the screen? And how does that compare from a storytelling perspective to bringing to the screen something like Elf, which, as far as we know, is pure delightful. <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> well, I'm not allowed to talk about how... <laughs> How much nonfiction is involved in the, you know. um, well, I would say the thing that comes to mind is that it's a sacred trust. When you know that it's someone's real life, especially when the person is alive, and you're going to be putting words in their mouths that work in a movie, but they've never said. Because people don't speak in movie dialogue. And if they, if they speak exactly as they are, that's great in a documentary, but not when you have back and forth and flow and you need the rising, falling action and to really tell the story. So the sacred trust of memorizing a human being, and Sully was so gracious with me and allowing me to see every side of himself and to talk through the process start to finish so that at the end of it, when he watched the movie for the first time, when he walked out of the screening at Warner Brothers, this is what he said. He said, you got my marriage right, and you got the flying right. And that meant the world to wow. me. The wow. second time he went and watched the movie, he came out and he said, wow, that's a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're watching your life on screen, you know, when Tom yeah, Hanks is playing you, it's a completely different scenario for what's happening inside of your chest. Yeah. That's how you feel. So I, I feel drawn to this because I think that there are endless stories that deserve to be told. Yes. But everyone's story needs to be told with that kind of tenderness and respect and honoring. And that's sacrosanct for me. That's that's like when I first sit down with someone, I tell them, whatever you entrust to me, I will take care of you. I will tell the truth. I'm not going to you know, shade it this way or that so you look good. I will tell the truth, but I will honor you until the end. And uh, it's, it's, it's paid off emotionally and, and you mm. know, spiritually and materially. That's beautiful. Well, we talked about what you're, it's not so much what you're looking for, both, this is for both Todd and Andy, um, that you're, you're both described how sometimes a book or project comes to you. Like you just know it's, it's a gift which I think is very cool. It's an answer I really wasn't expecting. So what I wonder is, what is it about the gift that sparks you to say, I want to make this? Is it um, storyline or it could it be the setting? Oh, I see what you're saying. Goals? Yeah. What is it that jumps from the page that you go, ooh, yeah, this is something I want to do? Usually for me, it's about character because mm. that's that's what I need. I need yeah. I, I need depth of character. I need something that's complex and interesting, and and uh, you know that where you can where you can know you're going to feel who this person is. That you can 
translate it, that you know that you have that you have it, that you you instinctually or you can gra- gather it. For me, mostly it's instinct. It's also ex- personal experience and um, personal knowledge and empathy for even if it's a bad character, empath- feeling right. the understanding the complexity and the empathy of the character. So a lot of times like people will ask me, so tell me about what you're doing. And I always describe it through character. It's interesting mm-hmm. because that's what resonates with me is yeah. the character. And sometimes I forget to actually get the whole story out because I just get stuck on the <laughs> I get yeah. stuck on the characters. I'm like, oh, yeah. then there's this person and this person's like this and this person's like this and uh, uh you know, for me it's always about the characters. And I even if it's not me, I'll look at it and I'll go, I love that character. Like when I'm yeah. re- reading it, I'll, I'm Nothing. always I'm always looking at the characters. That makes sense. Yeah. That's what you portray. Yeah. Yeah. Todd, how about you? For me, it's the untold part. Everyone thinks that they know a story that's true, especially, my goodness, the the blowback when Sully was announced as a movie, the mockery, like, hey, everybody knows it took three minutes and it's a happy ending. Why are they spending $60 million to make this movie? Nobody cares. I mean, that was the whole thing all the way up until the movie was released. Like, even in the weeks before the movie came out, just the last two weeks, all the prognosticators were no one's going to see this movie because nobody cares. But the untold story is something that I knew about that nobody else knew, which is that the NTSB uh, spent 15 months. I had to collapse it into four days in movie world, (laughs) but they spent 15 months haranguing Sully about what happened during his heroic moment. And they, they called him night and day and he lost 35 pounds and he wasn't allowed to fly. And they called him alone, and they called him with his co-pilot. And they didn't uh, have transcripts of those talks. Mm-hmm. I have 1,100 pages of transcripts about the official report, but um, wow. the NTSB was doing their job. They're, they're, they're really, really good at their job, but they just weren't used to having surviving pilots in a crash. It just yeah. was not what happened. And I think there was a level of disbelief yeah this could actually occur and i think they were looking for something that was just a little off but there was nothing off and these guys did it perfectly and they brought years of experience and preparation right man right job right time their humanity their awareness and uh one of my favorite things is and this is not in the movie because tonally it was wrong but after they landed on the on the water they looked at each other, pilot and co-pilot, and said, no, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. Badasses. So, oh, my God. Oh, wow. That untold story with that's the incredible. was, was the, oh. I think, the reason the movie worked and yeah. the, the reason that every every nugget that I, that I find I'm always looking, you know, from this angle, has anyone seen the light reflected from this coin at this time of day yeah. in this way? Wow. Well, that's a hard question to um, answer to follow, but Mary Kay, I know you have a question. I do, and it, it kind of uh, strikes a chord with me because I think maybe, Todd, what you're talking about is a little thing we call yeah. ageism. <laughs> And so, Andy, that leads me to my question for you. I, you know, it's well known that movie makers are 
age blind <laughs> when it comes to male actors. I mean, they can be 70 years old and playing a 30 year old, but not so much for women like us. So I'm wondering, how have you been able to maintain a lasting career in this business with that kind of challenge? Is it a, is it a matter of pursuing and even developing the kind of projects that you want to be involved with? And is there a dream role out there um, that you're dying yeah. for everyone that one of us could write for you? Which I can write for you. I can write oh, it. Well, yeah. I can, I can, I'm open to giving you loads of ideas. That's, that's, I'm fine. You're welcome to call me and we can talk about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, gonna, it's, it's a struggle. It is a struggle. And I wish I was in better light because I look really halfway good for my age but i don't have one of those ring lights or anything right now in the natural light sorry (laughs) in the natural light like during the day i look so much better am i even on um, you're on you look amazing to answer your question um i think yes i mean you will see like all the men get older oh my headphones not in all the men get older and they're cast with uh can you hear me mm-hmm. yes we can hear you okay i've lost yeah. you i can't see you, you. Can... there from okay. Me. okay uh-oh are you there my back um back. you are not visual you're black. we can hear yeah. you while we're waiting for Andy, can you to hear me? Yes, yes, there you are. Yeah, this Someone is live. To Andy's house. Shake your head if you can hear me. <laughs> yes, we can hear yeah, you. You can. You can hear me. Oh, great! Yes, we can hear you. So, so twins, I'm. I can't hear you guys though. What am I gonna do? Uh oh. That's so In the show. Okay. Everyone here's can what we'll see do. And hear you. <laughs> um, we'll get That's you. what it says over here. Okay, Andy, anyway, why don't we get um, you checked? And I'm going to ask the question, and he'll get you working. Because I can't hear you guys. Um, here, I'll type. Uh-oh. Andy, um, hang up. Andy, why don't you ask? Oh, she left. She left. She's gone. Let's go to the viewer questions and answers, and then we can come back to Andy. How's that? May, so, may I, may I just commend Andy, though, on her sense of suspense? I mean, she's just building the suspense. Ah, what she's about to say. Well, we'll get her back. Love all it. right. Um, lighting. She talked about questioning her lighting, and then it went all black. I know. There's <laughs> a ghost. There's a I'm sure. All right. Um, Christy, let's see. Why did you ask the question? Perfect. Um, Heidi Angle wants to know what is the what are the biggest hurdles to making a novel into a screenplay? What a good question. Heidi Angle, bringing it. Way to go, Heidi. <laughs> really good one. Um, here's the here's the coolest thing about adapting a novel, and and adapting a, a true story is similar. I I love, like I said, the thing that's hidden. So if you're reading a novel, and it, there's an offhanded comment about. The, the character being amazing at uh, Parcheesi, but then it's never brought up again. I like to follow that string and say, well, you know what? Parcheesi, what kind of game is that? Why were they into games? What were they thinking about? Did they also like chess? Did they also, did they play jacks in the backyard with their sister? And follow the threads of what would make a character like Parcheesi. And if you do that, you stay true to the character, but you wind up having permission to tell all kinds of scenes that weren't in the book. Because you can't take a great novel and do it word for word. There's a reason a novel is 400 pages and a screenplay is 110. And you can't 
describe things. You have to get out of the way. Screenplay is a blueprint of the house that's going to be built with actors and directors and, and filming. So you have to do it in this really, really spare way. But if you keep surprising people page after page by taking them down those little trap doors and those hallways that the Parcheesi opened, then you have them. Because they didn't see it coming, especially with a bestseller. We're like, oh, well, we know this happened to this character and they acted like this and they never danced under the moonlight with their husband. But if I can show you how everything that's already in the novel leads to a scene about dancing in the moonlight because of Parcheesi. <laughs> then you have done your job. That is something. I love that answer. Sales of Parcheesi are going to go off the charts this Christmas. I'm a big Parcheesi fan, so I, I really like this. I can't remember the last time I played Parcheesi. I used so. to play. I had this neighbor that I that um, was this older man, and he used to play Parcheesi with me. Oh, <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> can can you guys hey, see girl. me? <laughs> no, we can't see oh, you, but, but we can hear you. Okay, I can hear you now, but I can't see you. You can't All see right, well, Why? I don't know why. I don't know, but I feel like there's something kind of poetic that we can't see <laughs> you when we're talking about women aging and roles. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right, well, can I That's answer right. that question really quickly? I wish you yes. would. Yes. 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 Okay. I, you know, I do think that we, we are, um, we do have the opportunity to change way, the way people think if we stop it within ourselves. So I've had, like, even with my choice to let my hair go silver, I've, you know, the projection that I get is interesting because there, there's a lot of people out there that do not see an issue with it. And then there's a lot of people that do see the issue yeah. with it. And the people um, that do have an issue with it or feel that it ages me need to look at themselves, not me. Yes. Because yeah. that is where the problem is. It's, it's, yeah. an, in, it's an, an interior dialogue or a societal acceptance that's in yourself that is mm -hmm. judging a woman differently than you're judging a man. And so I can't change that for you, but you, you do need to look at it. So that is part of the problem. And I think there are also, like, I get cast with a lot of younger men. And when I did this Christmas movie, they, I was like, I was showing up for the first time with silver hair. And I'm like, what if the guy has dark hair? Well, of course he has dark hair. I'm sure he colors it. But he did have dark hair. A lot of actors color their hair. A lot of male actors color their hair, obviously. But um, I decided within myself that I wasn't going to say anything to anybody that it bothered me or that I was even thinking about it because that that shows my weakness. That shows me uh, projecting that attitude onto myself. So, you know, we're on a journey now. We're, you know, we haven't had a female president, which is very peculiar that this, in this day and age that that has yeah. not happened. We've got so much progress to make. And it, it sounds really small, but it's not because how we are perceived as women and how we look is also yeah. about, it's all about power. It's very much about, um, being able to get ahead and all of that, it plays into the whole, the whole picture. So um, I would like to do really sexy roles as a mature woman because men get to do it all the time. You, yeah. you know, we don't, we don't have that opportunity to, to continue to be a force to be reckoned with and a powerhouse and uh, dynamic 
um, all the roles that you would see a man play at 60, those are the roles I would like to play. Awesome. Wow. Well, we, I think you found five authors who are now going to write one. <laughs> yeah, we're on it. And one screenwriter. <laughs> I mean, Andy, if you click start cam on the bottom panel, you might. Okay. Have all right. Thank you, honey. Okay. All right. Uh, Mary Kay, while we're waiting, why don't you ask your question? You have one for, from Jill. Uh, yeah, hang on. One moment. Um, yeah, Jill um, Cuthbert Dutcher says, once the author has sold the rights to the novel, do they continue to have involvement throughout filming? It really depends on the, um, the power of the author and the appetite of the author. Um, you could have someone that, that is new to it, but who demands to be involved and only will cut a deal if they're involved and get to listen. Um, a lot of newer novelists are nervous about asking for that, but that's available if they demand it. If people want it enough, they're, they're even, you know, often they get a chance to write the first draft of the screenplay. It's, it's, uh, it's remarkable. There, there's a lot of openness towards the creator of these, this IP. So there's a lot of love for, for novelists. Um, but I would say it's, fundamentally important for the novelist to recognize that a movie is a totally totally different animal yeah. and yeah. to seed the creation of that movie to the movie makers yeah. right and that's hard that's that's tough and because most movies are terrible and most movies don't get made very very difficult to take your cherished characters and your beautiful book and give it into the hands of people that may or may not crush it yeah. Right. So it's it's a deep vulnerability, especially yeah. after you've sent these characters out to the world and they've become beloved. Right. For, for yeah. most, many people, the memory of a book is much more tied to a successful film or even an unsuccessful film than it is tied to the original book. Yes. And actors wind up on the cover of the reissues, and that first thing, that conversation between novelist and reader, gets more and more obscured. Mm -hmm. yeah. so I, I think there's a um, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to let your novel go into movie world. Well, I have to say, I remember, Andy, can you hear this? Are you out there? Uh, okay. You know, it, it says I'm in the show and that everyone can you see are. me. But um, oh well. well, that's all right. We can hear you. But I remember <laughs> I remember when we did the beach house. That was exactly that, Todd. I um, I gave it to Andy, but I really had complete trust that she do, she knew the story. She'd do well by it. And I just let go. And I saw the script and things, but it really was the Andy's decision what was going to go in or not. And I think a lot of it for the author is just to trust who's, yeah. who's handling the material. Well, there were some things I probably would have done different. So it wasn't, Dan had a lot of power too, the producers. Yeah. And, you know, we had a very prestigious director. So I didn't, there were some things I probably, I wish I actually had voiced my opinion in a little bit stronger. I didn't, I, I, but you know, in hindsight, but it still is all good. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's all good. But, you know, you do have to let go at a certain point. We were talking about that yesterday when we were talking about another book. Is Sometimes it's a different experience, a book taking it to film. And you have to think about how it, translate on, it translates on film. And uh, and you you do have two two hours to tell a story, and sometimes you have to change things a little bit to make it 
fit in that format and be flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen, do you have a few live questions you can pull up? Um, yes. Um, okay. So this one is for Todd and Andy. Um, we would love to hear of one project that would be your dream project that you haven't done yet. And it doesn't have to be something specific, but is there something that would be a dream project for you for the future that you haven't gotten to tackle? That's a good one. Right, right now, it's for, for us to figure out how Andy can be back on screen. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's a good project. I'm so sorry. It's such I'm in the show and that everyone can see and hear me, so I don't know what I've done wrong. Oh, I should tell everybody, Andy's in, um, right now making a film in Canada, so it's not easy for her. All this is not in her own home. She's not in witness protection. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Like that. I'm, I apologize. I dropped it. And then you should see how my, what my setup is. I've got my phone is sitting against the knife holder. That's what, on a box. On a box. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I've got just, you know, a light on the floor. That's that's kind of the extent of it. But, yeah. So well, what, does anyone have a project that they dream that dream they could possibly do? I, I, I certainly I certainly do. I'd like Andy to go first, please. Um, well, you know, I I was hoping that someday I would get to work with my daughter, and I knew that she was um, adamant about making it on her own, and she didn't want to, you know, look like I was helping her out because I really am not. There's nothing I can do for her. Either you could do it or you can't. That's the thing. And uh, so I didn't think I would get. I thought it would be like on Golden Pond or something like that. That. <laughs> That kind of thing. I thought I would be ancient before it actually happened. And I was working on uh, the Christmas movie, and I got a call from her and said, I'd love you to play my mother. So this, the project that I'm working on right now, I'm playing a, a manic depressive, which is something I've always wanted to do. I grew up in sort of a chaotic environment. And um, there's just, you know, she's also very joyful, manic depressive. So I'm having a lot of fun playing that and I guess after this I want to play a really sexy older woman like I want to dress hot as hell and I just you know I want and I want to feel I want to feel like a man feels at my age I want yeah. to be I want to ha be able to yeah. do everything that they're doing and, mm -hmm. and and embrace that part of myself that's uh, that has no fear about where I am right now and actually uh, and embrace all that power, the power that they get to feel when, as they get older. That's what that's what I want. I want to be like super powerful in, you know, in my prime as yeah. they are in their prime and yeah. and 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 owning it. That's really, yeah. cool, you know, I want to dress awesome. like super, like really <laughs> great clothes. Feminine, feminine, you know, like high heels, like great high heels. And just, <laughs> that's like, awesome. And Andy, very, well, as far as we know, know, that's what you're doing right now. Exactly. <laughs> as far as we know, oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I don't know if we can um, moving on. That's sort of an image we all have in our mind. Um, Todd, I know that we have to be very quick. Do you have a writing tip? A, the quick writing tip. Yeah, it's it's not it's not terribly long. For me, um, the greatest, and I'm sure for all of you as well, 
the greatest trapdoor of writing is procrastination. I mean, that's the thing, you know, pro is the perfect beginning for that word because we're not amateur procrastinators. We are procrastinators. And the <laughs> ability to think of anything to keep from writing and to wander around and to shy away from your writing desk and, and create incredible rituals of failing to write yeah. and then feeling bad about not writing and, and it can consume you. And yeah, I have the benefit of writing under deadlines constantly. So I don't have the opportunity to give into that. But most people, especially young writers or, or people that want to write, this is a big problem for them. So my advice about this is whether it's an apartment or a home or wherever you live, you turn every single inch of your house into a creative space. Oh, so wow. You have your writing desk, but when you get up to go make your coffee while you're procrastinating, you lazy punk, Mr. Coffee is a chalkboard and it's for notes. And over by the fridge, there's letters for you to arrange for ideas. And in your bedroom, there's a pad always by the light. In other words, there's nowhere you can go in your house that you cannot write. There is no safe place. Because what will happen is that you will see that pool and you will dive into it. And then you will like it so much, you'll be swimming around your house and your book will be done before your hair's dry. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I think it's amazing. I love it. I'm a convert. That's yeah. wonderful. Thank awesome. you. No, really, that's really wonderful. All right. Um, wait, wait, wait. Everybody's asking because we forgot to let Todd answer. What is his dream project? Everybody yeah. Ah, okay. Um, that's sweet. Thank you for, for letting me circle back. I'm on the verge of getting to do it. I've been asked to direct a movie that I wrote called Heart, and it's the true story of the only professional athlete to ever play with a transplanted heart. Wow. Named Simon Keith. He's personally responsible for tens and thousands of people's lives being saved because whenever he tells his story, people donate their organs. Oh. The reason that it matters so much to me is that when I met Simon to write this movie, he was essentially in hospice. And I, I went to get his story like I was getting his last will and testament. And we wept together, and his family poured their hearts out to me. And his son drove me home from the hotel saying, I'm watching my father vanish before my eyes. And I can look everybody in the eye tonight and tell you this. I believe in miracles. I had never seen one. And right in front of my eyes, Simon Keith's life became a miracle. At the last possible minute, he found his third heart. <gasps> his third heart. And he is now back on tour, back speaking, alive, in better shape than any, uh, any of us. Oh my God. You guys know, I know. He shines so brightly. I love him so much. We've become like brothers. And that is the next thing. Um, um, Frank Marshall is, is producing it, who produced Sully and all the Bourne movies and all the Spielberg movies. And that looks like it uh, it could go in, in 2021. So um, wow. it, it's, a, it's a real big oh. deal when you say you believe something and then you actually see it. Yeah. And you have to live your life on the other side of that. So it's it's altered my view of the world. Oh, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing to hear. 
time of year. Thank you for, I'm so glad we got, Patty, you brought that in to yeah, have that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right, Mary Kay, can you remind us about our tonight's bookstore? Oh, bookshop in Bayonne, New Jersey. And we love them. And you know, they've had, they've had some troubles lately. And so we would love it if you would. Uh oh, it sounds, it sounds like the so Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> the, link is, the link is on, the, on our Facebook page. The link is on our Facebook page. And yeah. um, they've had some serious, they've, they've had, I'll just tell you, they they had a death threat because they're a black owned bookstore. And Ooh. we would love it if you would support them. Yeah. yeah. And be there for them um, because we believe in that. We believe in authors being there for each other and being there for books. And where is this bookstore? It's in Bayonne, New Jersey. Okay. It's and called it's Little, the Little Boho Bookshop. Yes, and it's on. We have the link uh, on the on on our uh, Facebook page, and you can order all of our books from them tonight or tomorrow or for the whole week. And they're offering a 10% off. You don't have to have a discount code or any of that. So, you know, it's tis the season. And we hope that you will remember tis the yeah. season before opening your hearts to someone who's who's had trouble they didn't ask for. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Mary Kay. Um, let's see. Kristen, can you tell us a bit about our upcoming guests? Yeah, sure. So we've been doing these behind the books bonus episodes once a month for a few months now. And this Sunday, the 13th, we have a very special one coming up with the incredibly prolific number one New York Times bestselling author, Susan Mallory. So that's Sunday at 5 p.m. on the friend, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Friends and Fiction Facebook page and also on our YouTube channel. And then next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, we will be welcoming Lisa C., the New York Times bestselling author of The Island of Sea women and many other gorgeous so transportive novels so i think they're both going to be great episodes and we do hope you'll join us yeah and andy that's a strong book about strong women so you're going to love oh, it yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Christy, can you talk yes. about our ugly christmas sweater party yes. so on christmas eve eve which is what we call it in our house but it's really december 23rd which you guys probably got <laughs> we are going to be having an ugly christmas sweater party and we are so excited um, we really want you guys to join us. And uh, I don't know. I think we haven't announced it yet, but we're maybe going to be having like a little ugly Christmas sweater party on the Facebook page that we want yes, everybody we to participate in. So it's going to be tons of fun. It's going to be a great way to spend Christmas Eve Eve. And we can't wait to see you there. That's right. And Patty, you have a final question. Um, just a simple last firing around the shot here. If you could magically trade lives with one of the characters you have portrayed or created, which one would you choose? Andy? Yeah, Andy. Oh, I'm going to have to think about this. You, you guys go ahead. Okay. All right, Todd. Go ahead. Well, it's, it's funny. I didn't create the character of Buddy the Elf, but I'm also uh, often accused of being like Buddy the Elf. Um, <laughs> you are. I, I really, really love the, the notion of moving through the world with the certainty that light defeats darkness. Yeah, and yeah. and Buddy, Buddy embodies that. Uh, mm. I, 
not rocking tights very often anymore at, <laughs> at, at 55 to the, to the benefit of all in my life. Um, but you know, I, love, I love the purity of, of what Buddy says about Absolutely. the world. And um, if we can remember at Christmas that with all the disappointment of this year and mm-hmm. all the no's that we've heard and all the ways we've been locked down and hemmed in and the ways that the disappointment can feel like the tights we're wearing and yeah. the hat we're wearing ah, and yeah. that everything is just on top of us, that we can peel it off at the end of 2020 and say, yeah. light wins, hope is on the horizon, vaccine yeah. is coming, we still love each other, the, the Christ mm-hmm. child is still born, not still born, but is still being born. <laughs> still, still that would be born. It would be still born. That would yeah, be oh, God. Yeah, 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 we, we know what you meant. But yeah, the, yeah. yeah the, the, um, you know, Christmas is is here, and it can't yeah. be stopped. So, mm-hmm. like that that star that's up in the sky, guiding us home, that we would always lean toward the light. And I think when we do that not only do we elevate ourselves out of the conversation that we're stuck with in our head, but we wind up splashing light on everyone around us. And of course, there's nothing more contagious than love and light. No. It was beautiful. I hear you there. I know you're there. I can't see you. What'd you say? Are you talking to me? Oh, I, yes. Now can you hear us? <laughs> I yeah. hear you. I just, oh, I'm, I'm so blo- sorry. I just in the dark, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> that, that beautiful, that beautiful story. Why don't you put the camera on somebody else while I talk? So you, just, <laughs> so you can do that. Please don't marry Alice and let me talk. <laughs> no. <laughs> not? Or just leave it like that. Just leave everybody. All right. Yeah, so, go. All right. So tell us. If you, Patty, repeat your question. I guess it would be my character in Groundhog Day, only because she was so pure. I mean, uh, you know, that's really she what was she great. had. She had to be a yeah. sort of a reflection of hope and purity yeah. and all things good and positive. You know, so that's good. You know, he's he's fighting so hard to be with her because of all her, her, her how genuine she is and what a kind yeah. person, what a kind person she is. Yeah. yeah, and you know the whole story. It's a very Buddhist story, but I've, I, yeah, I did talk about it in a little church in uh, Asheville because it really is about um, you know becoming your higher self. It truly, is about reaching yeah. the best part of yourself. It's like cycling life after life after life after. Yeah, life. until you get there. Yeah, yeah. Until you finally get there. Yeah, and then, and then he got to be with her because she was all goodness. She was such a pure human. You know, I think both answers, those are the perfect way for us to end our program tonight. What a wonderful night. And that's it for tonight. We're so grateful. Andy, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, sorry about the hiccup. Thank you for joining. You're on film set, but we are so lucky. I'm blowing kisses at all of you. (laughs) Kisses, Pat. (laughs) Y'all are amazing. Thank you for being here. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. I want to thank you. And if you want to catch the show later, you can catch it on our website, www.friendsandfiction.com, and now on YouTube as well. And don't forget, tomorrow morning, you can catch 
the wild swan. Go yeah. order it on Audible Yay. original song. Midnight. Set up again. I'm going to stay, gonna stay, gonna stay yeah. up. I'm going to stay up so I can get it at midnight. And also on Sunday night, December 13th, don't forget to watch, watch Andy in Dashing in December on Sunday night. Yay! And so that's a wrap, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye, everybody. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com, as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.